Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? What is, does anybody know, this is a, this is a pop quiz, does anybody know what the big yellow thing in the sky is today? Has anybody... Man, I feel like it has rained for two straight months. It is crazy, but man, what a beautiful day. I think it's supposed to rain again this afternoon and then for the next 12 days. So just enjoy it while you can. Thanks for coming and being in a room instead of being out in the sun this morning, but uh, we're glad that you're here. Corey and I are glad to be back. Some of you weren't here last week, so you didn't even know we were out, but man, we were out last week. We were in West Monroe, Louisiana. I called it Monroe while I was there, and they said, no, 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 no. Monroe's across the river. We're in West Monroe. Uh, where Duck Dynasty, those guys are from. And uh, Trevor, I mentioned it, I, I listened to the podcast, Trevor mentioned it last week um, because I had told him on the phone, but we were in the airport, and if you've ever been to Monroe or West Monroe, the airport is about the size of this room. Um, and so we were standing in the baggage claim area, and there comes Willie and Corey from Duck Dynasty, and we were gonna take a picture with them. We were gonna be like, hey, can we you know, just snap a little selfie? I don't know if it's a selfie if there's four people, but you know, a, a picture of us, but they didn't seem like they were in a great mood, so so we didn't, we didn't want to do that because he's an outdoorsman and I'm not. And so I didn't know how that would end. And so, um, but we were there for a marriage retreat that we were speaking at uh, last weekend. And it was awesome and we had a blast, uh, but we're so glad to be home. Uh, but you heard Corey mention it just a second ago. So let me just take a chance just to kind of hit that one more time that uh, we do believe in, in just healthy relationships. It's one of the reasons we're doing this series uh, during this month. But we are um, just so excited about Couple to Couple coming beginning March the 4th. Uh, that's Sunday night at 6 o'clock, and we want you to register to be a part of that. Um, so you can do that on the website. It's 35 bucks for the whole month. And here's what I've said for the last couple weeks. I'm giving away a money-back guarantee on that event. It's only 35 bucks, but I, I believe so much in this event and the power of this event for your marriage or your soon-to-be marriage if you're engaged or your possible marriage if you're seriously dating. Uh, but no, we, we believe in that, that if you get to the end of that month and you say, hey, it wasn't really worth my time or my effort, I'll give you your $35 back uh, because I really believe that these four weeks could just be so impactful um, in your in your marriage relationship. And so join that event, be a part of that. And you heard if you join you know, in the next couple of days, you get the opportunity to get an extra entry into a really cool drawing we'll do at the end of the month. Uh, but we're excited about that. We're excited about a lot of things. Let me just tell you one more quick thing just in the way of just information for you that call Canton Church home. Uh, Easter is only like six weeks away, which is crazy to me. I feel like we just celebrated New Year's Eve and all that kind of stuff. But Easter's six weeks away, and we're doing something different this year for Easter. So Easter is April the 1st. That's a Sunday, but it's also, for those that have kids in school, like this week is winter break or partly a winter break, and Easter starts spring break. And we know that some of you will be traveling. So here's what we're doing, just for you to put in your mind. We'll talk about it a lot more as we get a little closer. We'll have Easter on Sunday, because that's Easter, all right? But if you are traveling and you're going out of town, we're also going to have an Easter Sunday service on Wednesday night before Easter. All right, so if you're going to be heading out of town and you just say, hey, I can't make it, we'll be traveling or whatever, you can come on Wednesday night before and we'll have the exact same service that we're going to do on that Sunday morning. So you can bring your friends, your family members and come and celebrate Easter with us before you get going out of town. So there's a ton of other stuff happening that week. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but I just wanted to give you that information. I, I told you I wasn't here last week, but I listened to the podcast uh, this week and Pastor Trevor did an incredible job last week talking about forgiveness, this idea that we forgive ourselves 
we must forgive ourselves, we must forgive other people, and just the importance of forgiveness in relationships. And in this series where we've been talking about how to win at relationships, what we're trying to do is just give you a few tools and a few tips in, in the relationships of your life, whether that is your marriage or a dating relationship or some type of romantic relationship, or your friendships or your family relationships with fathers and daughters and sons and moms and whoever you've got, or, or it's a coworker or a boss or whatever the relationships that you have, we want to help you to be successful in that. It's not about winning so that somebody else loses. It's so that everybody wins in those relationships. And so what we wanted to try to do is give you a few things. And the first week we talked about the importance of communication. And we just talked about how it's really important the way that we talk to one another, the way that we listen to one another, and what that really looks like in your relationships. And then Pastor Trevor talked last week about forgiveness. And this week I want to talk to you about the idea of encouragement. He said that we're talking about you're awesome. And he said it, you know, that you should turn to the person beside you and say you're awesome. And some of you just didn't do that because I watched you and you're like, well, he didn't really mean I had to do that. Right now, turn to the person that you chose not to turn to last time and look at them and say, you're awesome. Now turn to the person that is your second choice. You didn't even choose them the first time or the second time and look at that person and go, you're awesome too. For those of you for those of you that have attended here for any length of time, you know, and I talk about them a lot, I'm not sure that I'd have anything to preach about if we didn't have kids, but Corey and I have four kids. They're 13, 11, 8, and 6 right now, and we're in just a really fun season. We're in a crazy season. Uh, it takes like NORAD to figure out our calendar and schedule some weeks, uh, but we're in a really crazy season. Uh, our oldest plays baseball, the two middles play lacrosse, and Kinley is taking gymnastics, and so it's a lot of fun. But my favorite thing about this season is not baseball or lacrosse or gymnastics. My favorite thing about this season is sitting next to Corey on the sidelines of baseball and lacrosse and gymnastics. So what happens is in the middle of the game, or if she posts it to Instagram or to Facebook, or if I do, or if a friend does and we're tagged in it, you can always hear the crazy lady on the sidelines just screaming and yelling and like, go baby, go baby, I'm just screaming and yelling. Now, she's not screaming at the referee or the umpire. She leaves that to me, but she is screaming at our kids and not at them in a really bad way. She's screaming in a really exciting, positive way because she wants them to hear her above all the voices in the crowd that she's excited about whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter what they're doing. When Cooper, who's our oldest, when he first started playing baseball, Corey understood the basic rules of baseball, but she would cheer when bad things happened to Cooper. Like he was supposed to run to first and he ran to third and she's like, run baby, run. I'm like, he's going the wrong direction. She's like, but he's running so fast, right? Because she was encouraging him and our kids are getting a little older now. And so they're like, mom, you're embarrassing us, right? And she's like, I don't care. I'm gonna keep screaming and keep yelling because she, here's what she has said. And she said it publicly and privately. She said it to our kids. She said it to me. She said it to other parents. She said, there will be a lot of people in my kid's life who are trying to get their attention or who are trying to encourage them or affirm the things that they're doing. But I always, as long as I can help it, want to be the loudest voice cheering for the, from the sidelines for them. I want them to know that I'm there and I'm supportive and I'm helping and I'm encouraging. And so she does. She takes that role very seriously in their lives. But what we understand is that encouragement is important. 
by her nature, she's shy and introverted, and some of you would not believe that, but I promise it's true. Public speaking and even one-on-one conversations are not something that she's just super comfortable with, and yet in those moments, she overcomes all of that to make sure that her children can hear her voice above all the other voices encouraging what it is that they're doing. She doesn't just do it in a loud way. When our kids bring a progress report or a report card home, if there's a need to affirm something that we read there, then we encourage that. If there's a need to correct it or to say, hey, we could do better here, then we do that as well. But we try to find something to encourage and affirm in the things that our kids are doing. And not just in our kids. She's affirming to me. She's affirming to some of you. I've been in, around in conversations or we sat at lunches or dinners or here in the church lobby and she's encouraged. And this is not about her, but this is just for me listening to somebody that I'm close to that, that loves to encourage and affirm other people. It's, it's honestly something that I'm not great at. I think about it a lot, but I don't always verbalize it. And I don't know why. I, I've been on this like soul-searching effort for the last six or seven years because I want to be a more encouraging person verbally. I, again, I am thinking all the time, well, that, they're doing a great job. That is a really good thing that they're accomplishing right there. But I'm not always good at taking what's in my head and getting it out of my mouth so that it gets to somebody else's ears. And I've tried to be so intentional. I've still got a long way to go because I recognize, even in my own life, how important encouragement is. And so today I wanted us to spend a few minutes looking at this idea of encouragement and the role that it plays in our relationships to really help us to win at relationships. And to do so, we're going to look at a story that you probably would not think is about encouragement at all. But if you got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament. Uh, it comes before 2 Samuel, right? That's interesting for all of us that we can count. So 1 Samuel chapter 30 is where we're going to spend a few minutes here, and we're going to jump to some other places in just a second. But this comes in a story about the, my favorite guy in Scripture uh, of the Old Testament. It's King David before he's King David. Uh, this is the guy that, you know, killed Goliath, and Saul, who was the king at that time, uh, is upset because people are beginning to rally to David, who has already been anointed to be the next king. So if you think about, take all politics off the table for a second, just to think about the, the role of government and things in our, in our culture here in the United States, you have the president, and then during a certain season, you have the president-elect. So think about if that was a spiritual thing where you already knew who God had anointed to be the next king. There was no election. There was no like choosing other than God choosing for his people who would be the next leader. So Saul was the president. He was the king at that time. But David had already been anointed by God to be the next king. And Saul recognizes that the hand of God has left him, Saul, and now rests on David who is to be the next king. And so what do you think Saul does? This guy that's very insecure, this guy that, that he doesn't really have anything to be insecure about. When he was anointed to be king himself, it said that he was taller than the other men. He was better looking than the other men. He was a valiant warrior. He was a great king. And yet when he recognizes that the hand of God, the anointing of God has been lifted off of him and placed on David, he recognizes that he has lost the authority to lead. And so Saul does what a lot of people would do. He starts chasing after David to try to kill him. Well, David is not on the run by himself as he's trying to escape Saul, who's trying to kill him. There's a, a group of people, a group of men and women that have rallied to him, and these men are going to help fight on his behalf to keep him alive so that eventually he can, can take the throne. 
And the women and the children, they set up camp, and there's a town that they're living in in that season. And one of the seasons of this journey where David is on the run from Saul, he finds himself actually across the border fighting with his former enemies, the Philistines. You remember the Philistines? They were the people of Goliath. And now he's actually fighting in the army with the Philistines, not necessarily against God's people, but against their other enemies. And he fights with them, he and his small band of army, they fight among the entire Philistine army against these other enemies for about a year. And the commander of that part of the army has all good things to say about David. When the other commanders, the other generals, they come and they say, hey, the guy in the back, that's David, right? He's like, yeah. Like, well, we can't have David fighting in our army. He was fighting against us before. He's probably going to eventually turn against us and try to kill us because remember, and they start singing the song that's been sung about David since he killed Goliath. He said, you know, Saul kills his thousands and David kills his tens of thousands. This idea that he's a great warrior, he's a valiant warrior, so we can't have him in our army. So the commander comes to David and he said, hey, listen, you fought in my army for a year. You've done a great job. The Bible actually says, I don't have anything bad to say about you. That's not what we're preaching today, but let me just say, if your enemies don't even have anything bad to say about you, you're living a pretty good life, right? He said, I don't even have anything bad to say about you. You've done everything that you said you would do, but the generals, they don't want you to stay in our army, and so you got to go back home. And so David and his men, they leave the Philistine army, and they are going back to their home in a town called Ziklag. And they're headed back there, and this is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Look at this in verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites, an enemy, had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in their soul, each for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, the first five verses that we just read right there, you might think, man, that's the most depressing, encouraging message that you've ever preached, Jeremy. If you're talking about encouragement, that's awful. All the women and all the children were taken captive and the enemies came in and raided the camp and they ran off. And now when they come back into town, the, the, the warriors, the guys that had said, David, I've got your back. Now they want to stone him. They're trying to kill him because it says that they're so bitter in their souls. They're trying to find, maybe you can relate to this. They're just trying to find somebody to blame. And even though it's not really David's fault because they signed up on their own to go and fight, they say, well, David, if you hadn't taken us over to fight with the Philistines then we would have been here to protect our families and we're going to stone you to death. He gets a rumor. He gets wind of a rumor. I don't even know if everybody came and told him we want to stone you, but maybe one of his friends said, David, listen, it's bad. We've wept until we have no more strength left to weep. And the men are over there around the fire picking up rocks. And those rocks have your name on them. And you may want to get out of town. Talk about being in a really bad place. But what we just read, the last part of verse 6, 
is it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I don't always read the King James Version. Some of you love that version. I love the poetic language of the King James Version, but I love the way verse 6 reads in the King James. This is what it says. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, I wrote about this in the book that I wrote about David a few years ago, but I don't even know how that works. I don't even know how you encourage yourself in the Lord. But before we get into the importance of encouragement in your relationships, let me just say to all of you this morning that you don't feel like you have people in your life who are encouraging you. It doesn't mean that you can't be encouraged. Because there's a God who loves you. There is a God who created you. He formed you in your mother's womb according to scripture. He has written your story out in eternity. He loves you more than any person that walks on the earth. Even people that told you they loved you and then they left you. Even people that tell you that they love you and yet they speak ill of you. And they, they don't encourage you, they don't affirm you, but they discourage you. They beat you down instead of building you back up. Let me just say to you, according to this passage, I don't know what your circumstances are, but unless all of your family has been taken captive, unless your town has been burned down, and the people around you are talking about stoning you, I don't know that you're not in a place that you can't also be encouraged in the Lord your God. I don't know exactly what that looks like, I've done a little bit of theorizing in my head to think that it might look like worship. It might look like lifting up the name of God and taking my focus off of my problems and off of my insecurities and off of my discouragement and off of my enemies who have rocks in their hands and putting my focus on a God who loves me and who called me, just like he did David. David, you're going to be anointed to be king. David in that moment has to believe that even though his enemies want to kill him, God has a purpose to keep him alive. And for you today, if you're sitting in this room, if there is breath in your lungs, God has purpose for you. And God has a plan for you beyond this moment. And so even if your enemies are coming after you, you've got to believe in God more than you believe in your enemies. Greater is he that is in me than he that's holding rocks in front of me. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. Maybe it looks like prayer. Maybe it looks like meditation. I don't know what that looks like but if David could do it at Ziklag, you can do it in Canton. And so before we get into the importance of encouragement today, I want you to know that even if you don't feel like the relationships in your life encourage you, you can still find encouragement in God. Here's what I know. I know that encouragement is important because Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. Anxiety weighs us down. Discouragement. The things that are heavy on us. And yet, if you, you can relate, I'm sure, I know I can. If I'm, if I'm heavy, if there's something on me, if I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it out of this circumstance, there's just a heaviness, there's, there's an anxiety, there's a discouragement on me. But if somebody comes along and gives me a good word, if they encourage me, it brightens up my whole day. It's like I don't even remember all the other stuff, even if it's just for a moment. I don't even remember all that other stuff that was weighing me down. There's a, there's an, there's a gladness that comes on me because of the good word that somebody gives me. 
Encouragement lifts us up. You want to win at relationships? Encourage the other people in your life to win. When they're winning, make sure that they know that you notice that they're winning. Don't just think about it like I do so often. Actually verbalize it to them. What if, I thought about this this week, what if life and the conversations that you had on a regular basis with the people in your life, what if it was collected on a scoreboard? What if it was collected on a scoreboard? And here's what that looks like. Here's the rules of that game. For every encouraging word you give to someone else, they get a point. For every discouraging word you give to someone else, they lose a point. You get no points. This game's not about you, right? Because how to win at relationships is actually making sure that other people win in relationships too. If every encouraging word that you gave to someone gave them a point, and every discouraging word that you gave to them cost them a point, after their interaction with you over a day or a week or a month or a year or a lifetime, would they be winning or losing? Because if my words are lifting them up or beating them down, then I actually hold a lot of power in the relationship. And so just think about that scoreboard in your life, in your relationship. Think about your spouse right now, if you're married. Think about your kids, if you got kids. Think about your best friend. Think about those that aren't your best friends, but they're close friends. Think about coworkers. Think about neighbors. Think about people that you do life with on a regular basis. If they got a point every time you encouraged them and they lost a point every time you said something that was discouraging to them, would they be winning or losing? If all day long you just kept a recorder on and you were just collecting all the things that you said to people around you, what would that soundtrack sound like? What would the score of that game look like at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month? Just things like if somebody came to you and they tell you about an idea that they have. Hey, I'm thinking about whatever. Now, depending on your personality and depending on your demeanor and depending on the way that you're wired, you have a couple of possible responses in those circumstances. Some of us are bean counters. They start giving us the idea. Our head immediately goes into details, how much it's going to cost, what it's going to look like. Here's how we get from point A to point B. Here's, here's how all those things line up. And have you thought about this? And have you thought about this? And have you thought about this? And what you're actually doing is sucking the life right out of their idea. Now, they need some wisdom. They need somebody, if they're not thinking this way, to help them count the cost. But when they're laying out the idea in the first place, they probably don't need you to do that yet. They just need permission to dream a little bit. And so is your first response to just squash that idea and just, I don't think that's going to work. Have you thought about this? Do you know that there's 72,000 other people that are doing that? I just Googled it and I just found 72,000 other web pages that do the exact same thing you're talking about. Bing, 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 bing. Now they're losing. Or do you say, you know what? That's an incredible idea. You're so creative. I've never thought of that. In the right moment, you still have the opportunity because you're, you're now on the encouraging side to go, hey, let me help you figure out how much it's going to cost. Let me help you kind of come up with some of the plan. Have, is there some people that we could pull in and talk to that would help this just sharpen this idea? You have a choice. In your marriage relationship or a romantic relationship in your life, they come home from work or they come home from school or whatever the circumstances are. 
and they start telling you about their day, and they made a mistake. They could have done better on their job. They got in trouble. Their boss got onto them. They got a bad test grade if they're in college or in school in some way. They, they, you know, they didn't do as well as they could have done. What's your response? I'm so sorry that happened to you. I really am. I know that, that's a terrible way for your day to go. That's not how you thought this day would go when you woke up this morning. But you know what? I still believe in you. Pew, pew. Yeah, you can do better. Yeah, maybe next time we got to work a little smarter. We got to work a little faster. Or do you go, man, your boss was right. You're an idiot. <laughs> pew, 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 right? Are they winning or are they losing based on their conversation with you? Are they winning or are they losing? If you were capturing the things that you said to other people, are you encouraging them in who, that they, in who they are? Are you encouraging them in what they're doing? Because that's what they need from you. Not blind loyalty that just says, yeah, go after Do everything that you're supposed to do. Do everything you wanted to do. No, no, no. In relationship, in the proper time, you can have even the hard conversations. But there are moments that you know you just need to be encouraging. I can't prove it yet. Corey and I were talking about this this week. Just in some relationships, people we know. I can't prove it yet. But I may set out and research it a little bit. But I believe that there are people in our lives that if we were more encouraging to them, if they felt more secure in their life and in their, in their relationships, they would be willing to take more risks. They're playing it safe because they're not convinced that if they fail, you won't leave them. If they fail, you won't judge them. If they make a mistake, it won't change how you feel about them. And so they're not willing to take a risk. They just play it as safe as they can. They just stay in the middle of the road. But the security that they feel in their relationship, I believe, is proportional to the chances that they will take in life. It's our job to encourage them. Paul got this idea as he writes to the people in the city called Thessalonica. The book of First and Second Thessalonians in the New Testament really captures this, this writing that he had. He talks about how he longs to be with them. He talks about the coming story of, the, of God and judgment and the day that's coming of judgment. But this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. At the end of the story, as he's talking to them about the day that is coming, this is what he says. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Just as you are doing. What I love is that he's encouraging them to continue encouraging one another. He's not correcting them. He's saying, listen, of all the people that I'm writing to, of all the people that I'm doing life with, even from a distance, you guys are encouragers. Keep doing that. He understood that as the story of God is being played out, you've got to encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews said something similar. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, he said, let, he said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He's talking about God. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this passage is often used to encourage people to come to church. It says, do not neglect meeting together. Now, let me just say, I agree with the writer of Hebrews. Right? Maybe that's the most pastoral thing I could say in this moment, but I'm a pastor. Sue me, okay? You need to be in church. But so often we use this passage only in that context. He says, don't neglect meeting together. And that's true. 
I believe that you need to come and meet together and be together. Do I believe that you can go to heaven and never walk into a church? Yes. But why would you? Because when you get to heaven, you know who's going to be there? The people that you would have gone to church with. Most of them. Some of you didn't get that. That's okay. That's all right. That was really, really funny, but you guys didn't catch it. Maybe they'll catch it at 11. It was really funny, though. But why would you avoid the people on earth that you're going to spend eternity with in heaven? People that can encourage you. People that worship alongside of you. Right? People that can speak into your life here on earth to help you to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. That you get into relationship, that you serve together, that you use your passions and your gifts to actually make a difference and to find purpose here on the earth in ways that are tangible and meeting people's needs. Like, I believe that. And yet, if that's only, the only way that we use this passage of Scripture, then we're missing so much. Look at what he said in verse 24. He said, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, that we have the ability to stir up in other people love and good works, a love for God, a love for others, service and works that help others not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but I realize today none of you are in that habit because you're here, but encourage one another. He says that through encouragement, if I'm diagramming this sentence correctly, through encouragement, you have the ability to stir up love and good works in people. It's one of the reasons that we gather together. We gather together because we believe that the presence of God is here. And you don't come just to hear me or to hear worship or whatever. We believe that you come to this place or you can or you should come to this place because you can meet with God here in a corporate worship experience that's powerful and it grows us and builds us up. But we also believe that when you come to this place, you have the ability to encourage other people. And you don't even have to speak to necessarily encourage them. Your worship encourages someone around you. Because some of them know your story. Not everybody. Some of them, you've given them permission. You sat around a couple-to-couple table last year, the year before, and they know some of the things that you've walked through in your life. And when they see you worshiping and singing and lifting your hands, they go, well, wow, if, if he can do that, I can do that. They see you worshiping and they see you just kind of sold out in those moments and they know the heartache that you've walked through. They go, well, she can do that. I can can do that. Maybe they don't even know your story, but they watch how you don't seem to care who's around and who's watching, but you are just completely and utterly wholly focused on God in those moments. They go, man, if if they have the ability to come in and block everything out and just focus on God for a few minutes, I can do that. Your worship encourages other people. Your service encourages other people. You come into this place and you, you give of your time to serve one and attend one and you're shaking people's hand out, in the, out by the door. Even the days that it's raining, you're standing in the parking lot holding umbrellas and helping direct traffic and your, your kids are grown. But you're in a kid's environment back there taking care of kids that aren't even yours and they're crying and another person's crying baby is way more annoying than your crying baby. But you're encouraging those parents because they're able to come in and completely focus in worship to God because they know that you've got their baby for a few minutes. Your service encourages people. 
You can walk up. I, I watch it so often. You can walk up to somebody in that lobby and you can hug their neck or shake their hand. And you can say, man, I'm proud of you. I know what you're walking through. Or, hey, I just want to affirm that you have not forsaken the meeting of ourselves together as summer and that you're here. You're here all the time. Thanks for coming. Thanks for making this a priority. You encourage me when you could speak life into them. Boom, boom, boom. Points, encouragement, brightness, anxiety weighs us down, but a good word lifts us up, fills us with gladness. And I recognize that there are a lot of things pulling for your time and attention. And so often when that happens in certain seasons of our lives, we're like, well, I, you know, I don't have time to go to church. Sunday's my only day off, or Sunday's one of my only days off, or it's been a busy season. And I know that happens. I'm not getting on to you, but please hear my heart. I, I get it. I get it. But let me just say to you that you're not just coming to church when you come for you. There's a huge part of you coming to church for somebody else. Because a guest walks into this room for the very first time, and they see you here. And they may not know you, but your presence here speaks to them to say, wow, okay, well, somebody else got here before me and they felt like this was a place that they had value added to their life and so I'm gonna give it a shot. You encourage other people. You encourage other people, your worship, your service, your words. Anxiety weighs people down, but a good word fills us with gladness. So here's what I want you to do as we close our time today. I want you to think about the people in your life, people around you, maybe in your home, sons and daughters and spouse and mom and dad and family, friends, coworkers, kids on your ball team, whatever. Are you helping them to win? Are you helping them to lose? And today, as we pray, you just say, God, help me as I'm trying to win in relationships. Help me to help other people win. You want to win in relationships? Help the other people in your life win. Because here's what we know. If you are the kind of person that is an encouraging person, you're uplifting, you help other people feel like winners, you're going to win in relationships because people want to be in relationship with you. Be an encourager. Give positive words. Don't kill people's dreams, but encourage them. Lift them up. Be wind in their sails. Help them to go farther than they can go on their own. You want to win at relationships? Be an encourager. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If you would say to me today, you know, Jeremy, all the things that you're saying are great. Before we start talking about trying to be an encourager, I recognize a lot of what you're talking about today comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I know that I'm not in one. And I want to ask him today to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I'm hoping and praying today that God's grace is enough for me. Let me just say to you that it is. That God's grace is sufficient. And so today, as you sit in this place, if you want to make that incredible decision to follow Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. We want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Now, if you would say to me, you know, Jeremy, listen, for me, I just want to be an encourager. I, I want to be the kind of person that helps people win. I really want to help them to score points in their life. I want them to feel encouraged. I want, even if anxiety is weighing, weighing them down, I want to be the good word that lifts them up and fills them with gladness. That's who I want to be. Would you lift your hand? Thank you so much. 
And now the last one today that may be the most difficult. But nobody looking around today, if you would say, Jeremy, I, I don't really know that I have a ton of encouragers in my life. And I'm asking God to bring those kind of people to me. And between now and the time that he does, I really need the Lord to help encourage me. I need to encourage myself and the Lord like we read in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, right now, I pray for every hand that was lifted. We gave several different opportunities for people to respond. But God, you see their heart. You know exactly why they responded. God, first and foremost, I pray for those who accepted you today as Lord and Savior of their life. They responded to you because they know that they need you in their life. And for whatever reason, that's not been the reality to this point. Or maybe it was at some point in their life, but maybe they know that they very, I mean, physically almost, they turned their back on you. They have, they've, they've walked in a complete opposite direction. So God, right now, we thank you for the opportunity to receive your free gift of grace and salvation today. Let them leave this place with a confidence that knows you hold their eternity in your hand. God, I pray now for those that lifted their hand to say, I wanna be an encourager. I wanna lift people up. I wanna give them a glad word. God, would you help us today to all be those kinds of people? We So many hands today. God, we should be the most encouraging group of people in the world because we know the hope of Jesus Christ. So help us to live that out. And God, right now, I pray for every hand that was lifted, several hands, more hands than I even imagined in a room like this. God, would you help those that don't know that they have a lot of encouragement in their life? They need you to bring encouragers to them. And God, as they wait on you to do that, would you help them to find the strength to be encouraged in the Lord their God through worship and prayer, through a, a passing word from somebody they don't even know that well as they read your word, as they hear you through nature and the Bible and a, a television show. God, would you just find creative ways to get their attention so that they could be encouraged in you? God, we thank you that you can do that and that you know right where they're at. And even though they may feel alone, that your word promises us that you would never leave them or forsake them. And so God, today we pray for your peace to guard their minds and that God, you would lift their spirits in ways that only you can. And God, let this church be a place that helps people just like that. That we would lift people up, that our worship would encourage them, that our service would encourage them, that our words would encourage them. And God, we would be on the hunt for people like that and that we would authentically, genuinely seek them out and be your hands and your feet extended to express your love for them. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 